A catalyst is a term from chemistry that we have brought into everyday language. In scientific terms, a catalyst is a substance that you introduce in order to start or speed up the process of action. In everyday terms, it's similar, but a catalyst is something or someone that, that causes great change. And we do have many catalysts in our life, don't we? Things or people that cause change. For me, a doctor's visit a couple months ago uh, was a catalyst for some change and some eating and exercise habits. Maybe a bad report card after the first quarter for a student is a catalyst to maybe try a little harder, study a little more, maybe play a little less video games, focus on the books. Maybe a, a near brush with death is a catalyst for some that I got to get my life right. I, I got to fix some of my relationships, reconcile, and maybe fix my relationship with God. Right? These are things that can become catalysts, agents of change in our life. But sometimes these catalysts don't remain catalysts, do they? Because even though the doctor told me that a couple months ago, those donuts look really, really good. <laughs> and it's hard to fall back in those old ways, isn't it? Yeah, the student might try harder for a little while. Yeah, it might put their nose in the books a little bit more, but then just get kind of frustrated because it's so hard and they don't get it. And then there's all the extracurriculars and all the other temptations that draw their mind away. And so all, all of a sudden that bad report card that they got a few weeks ago isn't so much a catalyst anymore. And maybe even those with the close brush with death, it changes things for a little bit, but how easy it is to, to fall back into old habits and old ways and forget about the past and what's happened. I'm going to make the argument this morning that the mercy of God is a catalyst, and I don't think you'd disagree with me on that, but, but not in the everyday use of the word catalyst, but more in the scientific definition. Because a catalyst is something that is not part of that formula there, but then it is introduced from outside. And that catalyst never disappears. It never goes away. It remains constant all throughout to activate change. God's mercy is no doubt a catalyst. A never-ending source of change that is constantly working, that is constantly there a catalyst that impacts how we think and how we live and why we live. And that's what Paul was writing about in the first 11 chapters of his book of Romans, about the mercy of God. And maybe it's good for us to, to just pause and, and describe what is the mercy of God. We use that word mercy a lot, both in the Bible and in our everyday language. So what does mercy, mercy actually mean? 
Well, and, and the basic definition, showing someone mercy, is not treating, treating them like they deserve to be treated. So if you get a speeding ticket, and you go to court, and you stand before the judge, and you say, judge, have mercy on me, what you're saying is, I was speeding. I deserve this ticket, but can you have some mercy on me and maybe knock it down a little bit? That's mercy. But God's mercy is so much greater and grander than just knocking off you know, a couple hundred dollars off a speeding ticket. God does not treat us as we deserve. And that's amazing. That's life-changing. That's eternity-changing. Every single moment of every single day is mercy from God. Do you realize that? Every breath you take, every single moment of your life is of the mercy of God. He does not owe you another day. You don't deserve another moment from him. You don't deserve a single bite of food. All of your talents, abilities, all of your gifts, your family, your friends, everything you have is by the mercy of God. And not just in the things of this life, but how about for your spiritual life? The mercy that God has shown you in Christ Jesus. That he does not give you what you deserve. And that is to say to hell with you. I'm done with you. I will have nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with you forever. That is what God has every right to say as the holy God. But he has mercy on us. He does not treat us as we deserve. So he sends his son to take our place to live the life we cannot and to die the death that we deserve, to open up the gates of eternal life, to give us forgiveness and peace and hope and joy all by his mercy. You deserve none of that. You earn none of that. It's all by the mercy of God alone. We're not singing it this morning, but a newer hymn that we have sung in the past, right? We sing in the refrain, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. It will always be more than our sins. That righteousness of Christ that is ours through faith will always cover us. And even the faith to believe all of this is by the mercy of God. And that's what Paul writes about in his first 11 chapters of Romans. This mercy of God, and he so beautifully lays it out. And we don't have time to do a survey of all 11 chapters this morning. But, but if you've forgotten some of it, or maybe you just need a reminder of that mercy that God has shown you, go back and make that your Bible study this week. Go back and read those 11 chapter, first 11 chapters of Romans. But just, just a few highlights, some of the, the verses that are going to spark some, some thoughts in your mind to remember, oh, I remember that. This truth that he gives you the righteousness of Christ through faith. That all are justified freely through the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. The truth that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that we are now dead to sin, but we are now alive in Christ. The truth that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
the truth that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the truth that we are co-heirs with Christ and we will share in his glory, the truth that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, the truth that if God is for us, who can be against us? The truth that nothing or no one can separate us from the love of Christ. The truth that faith comes not from ourselves, but from hearing the message, from hearing the gospel. These are all gospel truths, morsels that you get in those 11 chapters of Romans and and so many, many more that just lay out for you in such beautiful terms and descriptions and truths the mercy that God has had on you. The mercy that God continues to show to you. And then we get to Romans 12, which we have before us this morning. And Paul writes there, in view of this mercy. Because of this mercy that I've just written about for 11 chapters, in view of this mercy, this mercy becomes a catalyst a catalyst for change. That everything we are and why we live and how we live is completely changed in view of this mercy of God. This is what he says. We're going to walk through. And I, there'll be some, there's a space for notes if you would like to take notes, if that's your thing, on the bottom of page 8 to fill in here. But we see in verse 1, in view of God's mercy, he says our life is total worship. This is what he says at the beginning. Verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The fact is, your life is worship. The the word here for, for worship in the original is this picture of total and complete devotion and dedication. It's what drives you. It's what's most important to you. And I know the word worship we often use to talk about this hour that we spend here on a Sunday morning. And it is. It's worship. But our entire life is worship. Every moment of every single day is worship. And the truth is you're always worshiping something. Sometimes it's your money. Sometimes it's your job. Maybe sometimes it's your family. Maybe sometimes, maybe all the time, it's yourself. Our lives are worship every moment of every single day. And here, in view of God's mercy, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, tells us your worship is to be to God. Complete and total devotion and commitment. He is your focus. He is your everything. And as worship, as our true and proper worship, he says, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? A sacrifice is something that's usually dead. How can it be living? Well, this harkens back to the Old Testament. Think about the sacrifices, the millions of sacrifices that were done by God's Old Testament people. How many animals lost their lives? How many animals' blood was shed? That innocent blood of that animal so that God could atone for the sins of his people. But friends, that sacrifice has now been taken care of. 
The once-for-all sacrifice has happened. Every single one of those animals that lost their life in the Old Testament was pointing forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. And so our lives become living sacrifices. The hard work's been done. Sin has been atoned for on that cross. Innocent blood was shed. The sacrifice has been made, and now your life of worship is one of living Offering yourself, your bodies, and everything you do with your bodies to worship God in view of his mercy to you. Paul writes here that this is your true and proper worship. This is holy and pleasing to God. In view of God's mercy, my life cannot be the same anymore. Any worship that I've been giving to anyone or anything else besides God has to be a false god. Has to be an idol and I have to put it away. Have to get rid of it. And say that because of the mercy of God, these are gifts that I get to use to serve and to worship and to offer my life to him. In view of God's mercy, my whole life is worship. Worship of the true and living God. Well, Paul goes on. He said that in view of God's mercy, my mind is transformed to God's will, not conformed to the world. He says in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The pattern of this world in view of God's mercy is not something we're conformed to anymore. And what's the pattern of this world? It's about me. It's about temporary pleasures that can't bring true satisfaction. It's about the here and now. It's about getting ahead. It's about bringing glory to myself. What's in it for me? And in view of God's mercy, we don't conform to the pattern of this world anymore. We're not like the world anymore. Jesus said that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not like the world around us. But instead of being conformed to the world, our minds are transformed. Transformed by the word of God. Transformed by his amazing, endless, boundless mercy he's shown us in Christ Jesus our Savior. Completely changed. A transformation that we're no longer like this world, but instead, our will is not set on what this world wants and what this world says is important, but our will is set on the will of God. His holy and pleasing and perfect will. And what's God's will? That we would know him, that we would believe in him, that we would live in him, that we would live for him, that we would share him. My mind is transformed from no longer being about me, but all being about God and others. To carry out that will of God in my life, that holy and pleasing and perfect will, to put away those ways of the world and daily renew and transform my mind to the mind of God's in view of his mercy 
to me. Paul goes on. He says, in view of his mercy, our attitude is now humility that comes from God. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. How easy it is, isn't it, to, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought? It's just our natural inclination to look down on others and to point out their faults because it makes us feel better about our faults. We can always point and find someone who's worse than us or more self-centered than us or more prideful than us, or so we think. How easy it is to be, think more highly of ourselves than we ought and who we are and what we do But here, in view of God's mercy, Paul tells believers, he tells Christians, think of yourself rather with sober judgment. Remember who you are. Who are you by nature? As we confess in some of our services, we are nothing but a poor, miserable sinner who deserves nothing but the wrath and the punishment of God. Don't forget about that mercy. Remember who you are. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. And that changes the way we look at each other too, doesn't it? Because then we're in the same boat. We're all in the same place. We all realize that we all need a savior. That we all are just beggars begging for some bread, that we all cling to the mercy of our gracious, compassionate God. When we think of ourselves the way we really are, then then we can truly look at each other and love each other and show compassion and mercy to one another. And this humility is in this, this Thinking of others is not natural to ourselves, and so we need this to come from outside of ourselves. And that's what Paul tells us here. He says that it is distributed to each of you with faith from God. Your faith that is wrought by the Holy Spirit is what leads you to humility. That leads you to be other-focused. That leads you to see your Savior who didn't come to be served, who had every right to be served as God and Lord the maker of heaven and earth, who comes to this earth, he had every right for every need to bow before him, but he didn't come for that. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul writes in another book, in Philippians, he says that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. That though he's God, God from eternity, he humbled himself and made himself obedient even to death on a cross for you. This faith given by God moves us to humility. Moves us to have this attitude of looking out and not thinking about myself or what I want or what I need, but to the needs of others in view of God's mercy. And then lastly, in view of God's mercy, Paul says what our purpose of our life is. What does this look like when the rubber meets the road? 
He goes on in verse 4. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is a very eye-opening section. Because it tells us that the gifts that we've been given, the talents and the abilities, and even our time, none of it is really for us. It's for others. These things really aren't yours. They're gifts that are given to you by God in order to use for his glory and for the benefit of others. That's why they're given to us. We use our time and our talents and our abilities to serve in every area of our life. That is true. In your home, in your workplace, in our community. But it's very clear from the context here in Romans 12 that Paul is being led by the Spirit to talk about here among the believers in the church. That the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have been given are for the benefit of those who are sitting here in these pews with you. They're not yours. They're ours. <laughs> They're for our benefit, each and every one of us. And every one of us, it says, has been given different gifts. We don't have all the same talents and abilities. And that's good. We need the variety. Not all of us have the gift of leadership, but some of you do. Not all of us have the gift of music, but some of you do. Not all of you maybe think you have the gift of encouragement, but there are many of you that do. There are some among us who don't think they have the ability to teach, but there are those who do. There are those who don't have the ability to fix things, but there are those of you who do. There are those among us who don't feel like maybe they have that gift of showing mercy to others, but there are many of you who do. And whatever your gift is, whatever your talent or ability is, is to be used for us, for the glory of God and for the benefit of this body for the body of Christ, for the building up of his church. Your gifts belong to all of us. Don't be stingy with them. In view of God's mercy, use them. Joyfully, cheerfully, generously to give God glory and to serve us. This is our, our member ministry appreciation. Here we do this in October every year. Not that we're not thankful all year, but, but to take a moment to stop and, and, and to be thankful for the gifts that God gives and our opportunities to use them.
And someone said to me uh, a couple weeks ago when they knew this, this service was coming up, like, why do we need to have, uh, why do we have to say thank you to people who serve? Uh, and I, I know what they were saying, it, right, because you don't serve here to get thanked. I know that. You don't serve to give thank, thank, get thanks, you serve in view of God's mercy. But it's good to say thank you, isn't it? It's right and good to say thank you. And so I, as your pastor, I say thank you. Thank you for all of the ways that you serve here. For your time and your talents and your abilities and your offerings and your prayers and all of the different ways that you serve this body, I thank you. But more importantly, what this day about is about is thanking God. Thanking God that he has shown you such great mercy in Christ Jesus. And thanking God that in view of that mercy, everything's different for you, isn't it? That you're not conforming to the pattern of this world anymore. That your thinking is different. Your attitude is different. The purpose that you live and use your gifts and talents is different. All for the praise and glory of him who gives us all of these blessings from his merciful hand. And isn't that what this is all about? It's all about his praise. It's all about his glory. For all that he's done for us. All that he's doing for us through each other as we get to be the hands and feet of Christ to each other. And it's all that we know is still waiting for us to come. May God bless us in this and strengthen us in this all to his glory. Amen.